Let's go ahead and pray, and then we will get into our study today. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it never turns back void. Just ask that you would teach us, even now, Lord, that none of us would miss out on what you have for us, Lord. That we wouldn't leave this place, Lord. That we wouldn't be distracted even now. Just ask that you would just calm our hearts and minds. Thank you so much just for the opportunity to gather with your people. Lord, as my wife prayed, that you just get me out of your way and praise you and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So <clears throat> today's a thing, you know, about Christmas and, and why is it so important. And so the title of this message, The Messiah. Um, and so I really want to look at um, who Jesus is and what his name means. And he has more than one name. And, and, and a name, what is a name? You know, it used to be, you know, when a child was born, you would name that person pertaining to the circumstance or, you know, whatnot. And our names, believe it or not, have meanings. And names have had meanings for thousands of years. And so as Christmas approaches, we need to ask, why does the world celebrate this day? Some think it's about gifts and St. Nicholas, but it is about Jesus Christ. And why is it about him? Then there is this name, Emmanuel. What is that all about? What is in a name? What is the meaning of a name? And why is it important? Oh, so much. There's so much meaning in his name, Jesus' name. Today we're going to take a look at what the Bible says about Jesus, the name above all names. Why is his name above all names? Why is he important? When was God's plan to redeem sinful man first spoken of? May this Christmas be one that is celebrated with a new meaning for you. We see in Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to be kind of all over the place in the Bible, but it's the very first verse of the Bible, and we knew that <clears throat> Genesis means um, origin or source. It's the beginning. And so in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it, we read, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you may be wondering, why is Brian referencing Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? What does that have to do with Jesus or Christmas or Emmanuel or any of those things? Well, to some that may disagree with this, and I'm not saying in this room, but others of other religions, Jesus was never created. His existence did not begin on that Christmas day over 2,000 or so years ago. Jesus has always been. He is the eternal Son of God. He is God. And see, I referenced Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, because then we go to John chapter 1, verse 1, and we see where Jesus was in the beginning. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And we see here in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, what's this thing, Word? A Word is what? Dog, cat, banana, peacock, frankincense. Those are words. But in the context of Scripture where John is writing by the leading of the Holy Spirit, speaking about in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and so we see that this thing, the Word, and the Word was with God, and so we see two different individuals there, and the Word was God speaking of the deity of Jesus. See, Jesus is the Word. And so you see in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then you see in John chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus was not born. He always was. He is the eternal God. And I'm sharing all of this with you because we need to understand the totality, the, the, the weight of the Messiah, who Jesus is. A lot of times we lose the supernatural presence, the all-powerful and mighty reality of Jesus in the nativity scene. In the traditions of Christmas, we lose who Jesus is and when He was. He always has been. And so we go to, you know, we, we read about, you know, Mary and, and, and how, you know, the angel came to her and, 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 and we're going to look at Isaiah and how Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah and, and, and we see all of these things and, and, and then we're going to look at the very first mention of the gospel from God. And we need to take the culmination of all of this and see how much God loves us that he sent his only son, Jesus, who always has been and who was with him always because he's the eternal God. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are all one, but they all have different office of position and different personality traits, different reasons for us. We see in verses 3 through 5, all things were made through Him. Who is it speaking of all things being made through Him? It's speaking of Jesus Christ. So who made the earth? Jesus. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In other words, everything that's in existence, whether seen or unseen, was made by Jesus. And we see in verse 4, in Him was life. In other words, the existence of life is in Him. Without Jesus, you do not have life. This is why the Messiah, the promised one, is so important. This is why the celebration of Christmas by Christians is so imperative for us to not lose in the grand scheme of the world that we're in that is working so hard and throwing billions of dollars at Christmas to make it a thing of just buying and giving. The reality is, is that God gave the greatest gift, His Son, for one purpose, not only to fulfill Scripture because God loves us so much that He told us about what was going to happen, but He loves us so much that He sent His Son to us while we are yet sinners for the purpose to die for us. 
It's fascinating if you really think about it. Joseph and Mary would have known that Jesus, being this baby that was miraculously placed in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit, would be crucified one day because Mary was told who he would be. So much love wrapped around Jesus and so much love wrapped around us from God through Jesus. The creator of the earth. We see here in verse 5 of John chapter 1, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So we see in John chapter 1 verse 3, we see Jesus Christ created all things, all of creation, the earth, the animals, the sea life, the work, I'm sorry, the, 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 the earth, the animals, the sea life, the birds, all breathing life, the universes, all that you see and I see, Jesus created it all. When you go out at night, you say, God, you created the universe, but the reality is is that Jesus created it. But we also know that they were all together. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. We know that when God created Adam and Eve, Genesis tells us that they was made in our image. So there wasn't just one entity there. There wasn't one personhood. There was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So I love how the Bible reveals the totality, the weight, the reality of how powerful God is. This is the God we serve. This is the Jesus that when you become a Christian, his Holy Spirit lives inside of you. The word says that I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door, I will come in and sup with you. I will sit and eat with you. I will commune with you. This is the Messiah. This is the Jesus we celebrate on Christmas. And so I was just thinking, like, wow, you know, what's in a name? What, what is, what's this name Messiah? What's this name Emmanuel? What is Jesus Christ, the name? What does this mean? Because we can gloss over all of this. We can read our Bible and just go through the, the motions and the traditions and, and really miss what God wants to speak to us about His Son, Jesus and we see in John the verse in, in verse 5 of John 1 it's important to understand that verse 3 through 5 this speaks of the pre-incarnation pre-incarnate Jesus was before he was born this speaks of the pre-incarnate work Jesus is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Jesus is the word. He is life. He is the light of all mankind. He came and shined in the darkness of sinful man's world. Commentator Warren Wearsby says this, God is light, while Satan is the power of darkness. People love either the light or the darkness, and this love controls their actions. Those who believe on Christ are the sons of light, just as the first creation began with let there be light. So the new creation begins with the entrance of light into the heart of the believer. The coming of Jesus Christ into the world was the dawning of a new day for sinful man. You would think that blind sinners would welcome the light, but such is not always the case. The coming of the true light brought conflict as the powers of darkness opposed it. A literal translation of John 1, 5 reads, And the light keeps on shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it or understood it. 
The Greek verb can mean to overcome or to grasp or to understand. Throughout the Gospel of John, you will see both attitudes revealed. People will not understand what the Lord is saying and doing, and as a result, they will oppose Him. May you not be one that opposes Jesus. Jesus Christ is the visible God. You will like, why, how do I see God? What is this all about, Brian, to be able to see God? Jesus was God with skin on. Jesus Christ is the visible God. Jesus Christ is the creator of everything. He was before all things. Jesus is the head of the church. Some churches don't live that way. They live with man being the head of the establishment. They follow the procedures and protocols of corporate structure. And the leadership does not stay humble and lowered beneath the reality that Jesus is the head. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 through 18 says this, He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. If you want to know God, you need to know Jesus. If you want to know Jesus, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pick John, the book of John. Read it. Get off your phone. Get off social media. Get off the TV. Take some time and and get to know Jesus. If you want to know God, get to know Jesus. Verse 16 of Colossians, for by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. God made all of them, controls all of them. Jesus has the absolute authority because he is God. All things were created through him and for him. You're like, well, what about the war in Israel? Oh, you know what? We didn't pray for Israel. Let's pray right now. Jesus, we just thank you for the reminders because I'm a silly human being and can't remember everything. And Father, we just thank you for the ability to pray for Israel. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring your spirit upon them. We ask Jesus that you would save people from hell, Lord, through this treacherous situation. Lord, we know that the body dies away, but our soul is eternal. And so we just ask Jesus that you would save those that are in Israel, that you would save those that are in the Gaza Strip. God, that you would do a miraculous work. We ask that you would have your hand upon this situation. Lord, that there would be miracles that happen that bring glory to you. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So even in conflict, even in war, even in governments that are not holy or righteous. God is in control. He is the master chess player. He knows where everything's going to be. Everything is in motion for the purpose to draw people unto God, to humble people from their sin, and also to usher in the reality is that there's going to be an antichrist coming to this world. So our world systems have to crumble. We know that in, in, the, in, the, in the Bible it talks about that all the world is against Israel. So all of the world powers will become anti-Semitic. They will be against Israel. These things have to happen because the Bible says they do, okay? 
I'm not glorifying war or saying that it's great. I'm just speaking the reality is that Jesus is in control. God is in control. That's why it says in verse 16 of Colossians, all things were created through Him and for Him. This is the Messiah that was born over 2,000 years ago. This is Jesus. This is why we worship Him. This is why Christmas is so important for us to celebrate that God sent His Son, became flesh, so that we would have someone to relate to when things were difficult. Jesus loves us. He loves you. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead, where it says that in, in, in Colossians 1, 15 through 18, where it says he's firstborn from the dead. In other words, he was resurrected as the example of the power of God that we, when we believe on the name of Jesus Christ, we have, we, I'm sorry, when we believe on the name of Jesus Christ, we too have been given eternal life, never to die. Yes, this physical body of ours will die and be buried, but our soul will live forever and we will receive a new body. One commentator states this, this does not mean that the Lord Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. There were cases of resurrections in Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. But the Lord Jesus was the the first to rise from the dead to die no more. That's why John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not what? Will not perish, will not die, but have everlasting life. Jesus was the first. And those that are Christians follow in that. If you are a Christian, you, your soul, will not die. If you're not a Christian today, you need to be one. You're wondering what that's like? Come and visit with us after service, and we would love to pray with you. So Jesus rose from the dead to die no more. He was the first to rise with a glorified body. He rose as the head of a new creation. His resurrection is unique and is the pledge that all who trust in him will also rise to proclaim... It proclaims him as supreme in the spiritual creation. Alfred Mark put it well. Christ cannot be second anywhere. He is the firstborn of every creature because he, was create, because he has created everything. He is also firstborn from the dead in connection with a redeemed and heavenly family. Thus creation and redemption hand the honors of supremacy to him of who he is and of what he is and of what he has done. That that in all things he might have the preeminence. He is the first everywhere. This is why we worship Jesus. This is why Christmas is so important. We need to understand who Jesus is so that we can glorify him. So that when we think about our life and how messed up it might be at times or how sinful we might feel, that when we look at Jesus and we're like, wow, God, you love me in spite of me. It should put us into a place of adoration and worship. It should put us into a place of conviction of sin. It should put us into a place of thankfulness. Have you guys ever gotten a gift from somebody that you know you did not deserve? 
All of us probably have. God gave us His Son that the world didn't deserve Him at all. It's because He loves us. Excuse me. So when was this plan of salvation established? I want us to take a moment, and I've already kind of premised this and spoke in this fashion, but I want us to take a moment and sit in the depths of how great God is. Did you know about 4,000 years before Jesus Christ walked on the earth in his human form, God had already promised to deal a death blow to Satan through his only son, Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. This really kind of paints a picture that God thinks about us. And if we go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you know, when we think of the gospel, we think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus, you know, God in human form, Jesus walking on the earth. And in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve had sinned, they, the, the fall of man had happened, and God's declaring things. I'm going to pick up in Genesis chapter 9, Genesis chapter 3 verse 9, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? This is after that. Satan had tempted them, and they, they partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't know what fruit it is. We just know that God said, don't eat it. Then, God, then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And I've always found this fascinating because God's all, everywhere all at once, knows all things all at once. There's no hindrance of him. He's out of time. But why did God ask Adam in the garden where he was when God already knew where Adam was and already known what Adam and Eve did? already knew. This paints a great picture that God is all about relationships with us. He is. He loves you dearly. He wants to talk to you. He wants to, where are you at, Brian? I'm right here, Lord. Well, why are you right there? That's not where I asked you to be. I'm going to put your name in there. And so we see part of God's character here. The Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice. This is Adam's response. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. And, and he said, who told you that you were naked? So when Adam and Eve partook of the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they looked at themselves, and they noticed that they were naked and had shame, and they tried to cover themselves up. And that's a whole picture of us. When we sin, we try and, like, cover ourselves up, and they use fig leaves with their sticky and scratchy, and it's like what we try and cover our sin up with is sticky and scratchy. It's not really good. And God sees all of it already. And so here you see God looking for him and Adam saying, I was afraid because I was naked. And then God's like, and I hid myself from you. And God's like, well, and he said, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, here's the first pointing finger in marriage. It's the, wo- it's the woman that you gave to be with me. She gave me of the tree and I ate. And the reality is, is that Adam and Eve were there together and Adam failed at leading his wife. So men, you're in charge of your family. Make sure you are spiritually sound to be able to lead your family because the enemy will try and come in any way he can into your marriages. Verse 13, and the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the, and the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So we have the blame shifting already going on. How old is the earth? We don't really know yet, but I mean, this is the first couple in the world and they screwed everything up and they're blame shifting. How many of we see our propensity to not take responsibility right here? We've been carrying this on for 6,000 years. Man, these people need a savior too that are in Genesis chapter three. So what is this that you've done? The woman said, right, serpent to see me. Verse 14, so the Lord God said to the serpent, and this is where he curses Satan, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than, any, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And then verse 15, it totally changes. I want you guys to listen to this. I want you to think about the garden. It's perfect, right? Perfect. They saw God the way, the way you and I see each other. This is God and Adam and Eve were like this. They physically were with each other. There was no sin, no separation. See, without Jesus, we're separated from God for eternity because of this. Genesis chapter 3. Without Jesus, you can't be with God. You can't please God without Jesus. You don't have a relationship with God without Jesus. But in the midst of the failure of mankind, you think God didn't know this was going to happen? I think he's like, man, I had no idea this couple was going to do this. No, he knew all of this. And yet he created them. Why? So that we would sit here. Why? So that we would learn the depth of God's love towards us. If God just said, I loved you, and we had no example of love in the face of hate and disobedience, we would never understand the depth of God's love. If I was God, I would have just burned him up right then. You're right? But I'm glad that God didn't do that. And so we see in verse 15 of Genesis, it's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's called the first gospel. Believe it or not, The power of the cross, the power of Jesus, the power of the Son of God that was sent to die for you and I is spoken of in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 3, and it's spoken of how he's going to hurt Satan. It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Enmity between you and the woman, this means that there would be perpetual hostility between Satan and the woman, and the woman represents mankind. We see that now. Perpetual hostility between Satan's seed. Those are his agents, demons. And her seed, that is the Messiah. Some of it is also uh, brought to the fact that Mary and Joseph didn't have a relationship with each other. Thank you. They didn't have marital relationship. 
And so we see here, even in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the moment that man sinned and destroyed all of mankind's relationship with God, God loved us. I want you to sit in the depth of this. This is why Jesus was sent. This is why we celebrate Christmas. 4,000 years before Jesus was born. God said, the woman's seed would deal a fatal death blow to Satan's head, and this occurred at Calvary when Jesus Christ triumphed over the devil. When Jesus Christ, the bruising of the heel was Christ's suffering, ultimately suffering on the cross. That's what this verse is speaking of. It says that there's going to be animosity between mankind and Satan. It says that there's going to be hostility between Satan's seed, his agents and demons, and her seed being the Messiah, and the woman's seed would deal a fatal death blow to Satan's head. And that's why Jesus Christ was sent. From the minute man sinned, God started reversing the process for mankind. And you say, well, how does that relate to me, Brian? Well, Jesus said that he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. It means you can't get to heaven without Jesus. You don't know life without Jesus. You don't have peace with God without Jesus. Why? Because you and I can't do anything right when it comes to God. And we, know, and we see it right here in Genesis chapter 3. If these people that were in perfection, perfect, couldn't do it, what makes you and I think we can? And it's amazing that even in the midst of Adam and Eve arguing, blame shifting, God knows all of that, the Lord spoke of the gospel right away because He loves us. Ultimately, Christ suffered on the cross and He died, but it was not death everlasting. He rose from the grave, victorious over sin, victorious over hell, and victorious over Satan. And that's why we worship Jesus, and that's why Christmas is important. It's important because that baby in a manger that we picture was the God of the universe that spoke everything into existence, who was all the way in Genesis God's plan to redeem His creation, which is us, not the world around us. The world around us is for us to do what we want with. God said, be fruitful and multiply and take care of the earth. It's for your benefits. We are the apple of His eye. He loves us. And as we grow in our relationship with Jesus, we're all in a different process of sanctification. There's salvation, which is instant. Then there's sanctification as the, as the Lord peels back the onion of our life. Our eyes burn and we're like, Lord, why? Why are you revealing these things about me? Then God can use that and start growing us and people see what's going on with you. And you're, Look, I met this person, Jesus, in, in John, in this Bible. And he had a plan all the way from the beginning when he spoke everything into existence. What? I can't even figure out how to plan to get my shoes on to get out the door on time. 
Jesus Christ is your victory over sin, over hell, and over Satan. Yes, amen. Praise the Lord. It's really amazing. It's not even only 4,000 years, but over 700 years before Christ's birth, Isaiah the prophet, he prophesied about Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel, going back to why I was mentioning about names, that word Emmanuel, it literally means God with us. God with us. If you go to Genesis chapter 3 and you read about Adam and Eve, you would think God not with us. We, God doesn't want us. If they were in perfection and they were perfect and they screwed up and I know who I am, how could God want us? Why would God want to be with us? Because He loves us and He has a plan for your life and it's through Jesus Christ and no one else. See, this word Emmanuel, Jesus, Emmanuel, it's, it's descriptive of Him being on earth. That's why when I talked to Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, I said, Jesus is God, not created. Their false doctrines skew John chapter 1, John chapter 1 verse 1 through 5. The Lexium Bible Dictionary speaks this about the Messiah, the word Messiah. It means the promised Savior and Deliverer, foretold in the Old Testament Scriptures, who is the anointed one of God, sent to redeem and save humanity from sin and bring about God's kingdom on earth. Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Deliverer. In the Old Testament, Messiah can also refer more generally to someone set apart for a specific purpose. The term Messiah is derived from Hebrew and means anointed one, while in Greek it's translated as Christ. Hebrew and Greek are the languages through the Bible. That's why we see those differences in the name of Jesus. Now, also in the Lexium Bible Dictionary, I thought, you know, I'm just going to click on this. It was a little highlighted. Jesus Christ, the name. According to the New Testament, Jesus Christ is the incarnate Word of God. We see that in the New Testament. Incarnate means physical. The creator and savior of the world. We read that in, first, in John chapter 1. The founder of Christianity and the sinless exemplar of its principles and practices. Jesus his personal name is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Jeshua or Joshua. If you really get into the, the name of Jesus, his name Joshua was a common name, like Smith. There was go, go and read Isaiah 53, and, and Jesus was common. He would, he would sit in this crowd and we wouldn't even he wouldn't be more important looking. So his, his name in Greek was, or in Hebrew was Joshua. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the name was divinely appointed, for he will save his people from their sins. Since the name was common in his lifetime, he was usually referred to in a more specific way, such as Jesus of Nazareth. Christ, the anointed one, is a title that 
acknowledged that he was the expected Messiah of Israel. In the Gospels, Jesus is usually identified as the Christ. After Peter's sermon at Pentecost in Acts 2.38, he was usually referred to as Jesus Christ. This composite name joins the historic figure with the messianic role that prophetic expectation and early Christianity knew that he possessed. His name is so important. Christmas is celebrated because he is the Savior. He is the anointed one of God for our salvation, for the work of God. He is God incarnate. He is eternal. He is the creator. He is the love towards us. He was sent for the purpose not to just be this miracle worker, but to die on the cross so that we would be set free from our sin. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 7, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. I want this kind of fascinating. Gene and I don't talk, by the way. I, no, we don't talk when it comes to the worship set. We do talk all the time. And so when she was singing that song, and I was like, wow, like I'm, she doesn't see my notes. This is pretty amazing. It's the Lord. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Can you guys see that? say that word? Wonderful. Say wonderful. wonderful. What's wonderful? Jesus. Is something that's wonderful not wonderful? Listen, Jesus can't be not wonderful. This is why we celebrate Christmas. In a week when you're with your family and you have a tree and you're opening presents, I want you to stop and think about Jesus being wonderful. And then we see in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, continuing, counselor. How many of you need counseling? I do. All the time. Mighty God. This is his name. Isaiah preaching this, speaking of this, prophesying about this. Everlasting Father, he's eternal. Prince of Peace. See, some of the names of Jesus here, these aren't just names. These are descriptions of who he is. This is why Christmas is important. This is why the world celebrates Christmas. Because Jesus came to the world. You know, we see, you know, we we know the story, right, of the shepherds and the wise men and the star, right? That star would have been seen, would have been seen all over the whole world. You know, there's accounts of it in, in China and Japan and every language actually has a description of that day. The whole world. It's not just... And, and, and that's the funny thing about the world is it tries to mask it. The world is always trying to mask the reality of Jesus. Oh, you know, relationship with Jesus and this. No, no, no. God said this is the only way. Just like, you know, God proclaimed that in the proto-evangelium that there would be this animosity between mankind and the enemy. And the enemy in Jesus, there's always an animosity. There's always something that's going to be trying to snuff out the light, snuff out the reality of Jesus. In our personal lives, it can be, you know, you start praying and you start walking out your walk with Jesus, you know, and, and, you're, and, and, and then things get difficult. The enemy hates you. Satan hates you. 
He hates me. He wants to destroy us. God's word says that he's a liar. He's a roaring, a, a, a lion that roams around waiting for those that he can devour. And the world that we live in is his dominion to destroy mankind from their relationship with Jesus. You're like, well, wait a minute, I thought God was in control. Yeah, God is in control of all that. But see, we see here when the fall of man happened, it set in motion the separation of God and man. We need to make sure that we walk with Jesus. I love that about Scripture. Jesus says that if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Some people are like, well, how do I get into ministry? Or how can I actually, you know, share the gospel with people? I really want to do that. Follow Jesus. How do you do that? Stay in the Bible. Well, I don't have time. Well, I can't help you there. We all got 12 hours in a day. What's your priority? And I don't mean that in a rude way. I'm just, it's a reality. I have to prioritize reading the Bible. Listen, I have four kids my wife and I are extremely busy. You know, I, we were here, I left here at 10, 9 o'clock at night. You know, I get here early in the morning sometimes. We work from home too. We've got 24 chickens. Our kids are homeschooled. We have to fight to have time in the Bible. You do too. We're super distracted with our phones. We're training our minds to just quick. I don't have time to get the Bible. For our relationship with God to be deep, we need to be in the Word. And it comes from personally reading. And you're like, Brian, that's kind of heavy duty. I'm, I don't know, Brina's listened to me preach for how many years now? I've been saying the same thing since 2012 out here. You know why, though? Because this, this is where our life comes from. It doesn't come from me it comes from the Bible. The Bible's alive. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Just read. I can't read. Well, get the audio Bible. ESV has, you can listen to it. Listen to sermons, not just these online. Go find, if you want to know some pastors to go listen to, I'll, I'll, I'll help you find some that teach the Bible. But Jesus, his kingdom will have no end, eternity. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse, verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with, excuse me, with judgment and justice from the time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus' kingdom, there is no end. There's eternity at hand. He has eternity in his hands. He is eternal. One day Jesus is going to return to the earth, and he's not going to be the suffering servant. We'll read about that in a second. See, Jesus is God. He is the Word. He became human. He was the God-man. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, not separate, and we beheld His glory. In other words, people saw that He was God. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, listen, 
Jesus is full of grace. Do you guys know what grace is? It's not something you say at the dinner table. Grace is unmerited favor. In other words, God has favor towards you that you didn't earn. I am so thankful for that. And it's very humbling. And this is why we worship Jesus, and this is why Christmas is important. He's full of grace and some truths? No. Truth. In other words, impossible to lie. Everything the Bible says about God and mankind and you and your need for a relationship with God through Jesus, it is absolute truth that He loves you in spite of you, that while we're yet sinners, God sent His Son to die for us on the cross. See, in John 1:14, God became flesh and lived with the people, lived with the human beings. This is Jesus. Jesus is eternal. Jesus, eternal life. 1 John 5, 10 through 13 says this, and I'm, I, I'm just sharing pieces of who Jesus is and, and what he is and, and so that we can grasp the totality and the depth of God's love for us through his son and the reason why we celebrate Christmas. I'm not gonna have anything to preach on next Sunday. Jesus, eternal life, 1 John 5, 10 through 13. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. If you do not have Jesus, when you pass away, you will be separated from God forever. And God's word says that in that place there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. But if you would like to have Jesus and like to have eternal life, you don't have that today, come forward after service and we would love to pray with you. Verse 12 of 1 John 5 says, he who has the Son has life. If you don't have Jesus, you do not have life. He who does not have the Son of God has not, does not have life. Verse 13, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Those that are Christians know beyond the shadow of a doubt there is something placed inside of us that cannot be shaken. It's supernatural. It's almost unfathomable, actually. I don't get it. I just know it's in me. God's word says it'll never leave you nor forsake you. But some of us have things, even myself included, we need to forsake certain things in our life, things that God's word says aren't right for us. We can't live a life halfway in, halfway out at times. I was talking about that with somebody else today or this weekend. And it's like we need to be evaluating and thinking through what our relationship is like with Jesus, if we have one or not even. But when we make a decision and invite Jesus in, He never leaves us nor forsakes us. In other words, He doesn't, our, our salvation is secure. We can't lose something that we never created in the beginning. 
So it's amazing. 1 John 5, 10 through 13 speaks these things. Verse 13, I've written to you that you believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God, which is Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Eternal life. Eternal life in spite of us. Can't get much more of a sappy love story than that. You know, it's difficult to live this life and walk as a Christian, and man, we need to cling to the Lord. We need to, to rest upon Him. We need to, to rely upon Him. He loves you guys so much. He loves you so much. Then we see that Jesus is the conquering King. Revelations chapter 19, verse 11 through 16 says this, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, and Lord of lords, this is Jesus when he returns. He will not come as the suffering servant. He will come as the mighty warrior with all of those that have been risen from the dead, following after him, destroying Satan's plans finally, and taking his throne, the throne of David in Jerusalem, and reigning forever. And those of us that know Jesus will be with him forever. It's amazing. This is why we celebrate Christmas. Jesus is not just the baby in the manger. He's not just this little creature that we look at once a year. He is God eternal. He is the creator of all things. He is the lover of our soul. He is our Savior. He is the crucified one. He's the Messiah that was promised, the anointed one. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is wonderful. He is our counselor. He is mighty God. He is the Prince of Peace. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. At the name of Jesus, all will bow down, whether principalities, powers, dominions, or anything created or not created. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why Jesus is so important. And we have to work to stay submitted and keep Him being the Lord of our life. You know what's wrong with a live sacrifice? It gets off the altar. That's the joke. You know, we need to, to die to ourselves, you know, sacrifice our, ourself, right, at the altar of Christ. But then what's the, the joke is that as a, a live sacrifice always wriggles its way off the altar, we always get sidetracked, whether it's with our actions, attitudes, our mouth. Like the other day, 
Gina and I, with stupid arguments, she threw something at me and, you know, a word came out of my mouth that should never have come out of my mouth. We're sinful people. We need Jesus. Our our life with him, it's it's this, this amazing relationship. And then we see that he's the conquering king. As Christians, we're on the winning team. A lot of people are, what, didn't, aren't the Niners going to the bowl? Is that what's happening? A lot of people are celebrating that. Okay, some people. I mean, I'm in Little Caesars. I'm not, I don't follow football, and I'm like, oh, they're like a sponsor, so it says something, Niners, faith or something. I don't know. But we see in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 16, I'm closing you guys are like, yes, I want food. <laughs> Kyle. But we see here, listen, you guys, after the rapture of the church and the tribulation times have ended. And if you want to learn about that, we went through the book of Daniel. It's on YouTube. It's on podcasts. The book of Daniel speaks about the tribulation. And the tribulation isn't for the church. It's for Israel. They're two separate groups. The church has not replaced Israel, by the way. Those that think that it has, it's, that's a, a pharisaical view. It's not biblically correct. But after the rapture of the church and the tribulation times have ended, Jesus Christ will return with his saints, not as the peaceful meekness of the cross, but as the warring king who has come to remove all of his enemies and establish his kingdom here on earth and take his throne, the throne of David in Jerusalem. This will happen. You know why? Because the Bible says it will. And I'll close with Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 33. Famous Christmas scripture, right? And behold, in other words, look, speaking to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. See, what's fascinating is this, the angel speaking to to Mary, and that he's telling her what's going to happen with Jesus at the end. See, the throne of David, we get into 1 and 2 Samuel, you know that that, that it's a, I don't want to say precursor, it's not, it's the wrong word. I'm going to back out of that, I don't want to misspeak, so... But, but we see here that the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And we see this in verse 33, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is Jesus. This is who we worship. This is why we celebrate Christmas. And so may we take this year 
with a new understanding, a new, a new not new understanding, a, a new depth, a new love for Jesus, a new love for Christmas. That we'd be reminded that God's plan that he redeemed sinful man through his son on the cross, the work was done, it's us, he calls us to come to him. And may this Christmas be one that is celebrated with a new meaning. Jesus loves us, he loves you guys. And as the worship team closes, if anyone needs prayer, come forward. We'd love to pray with you afterwards. If you would like to begin your relationship with Jesus today, we'd love to pray with you, and you could start that today. So uh, I'll close, and then uh, you have one song, right? To say that it's uh, amazing how God moves through His Spirit, because the fact that you just closed on that verse, and we're closing with rain above it all this morning. Yes, perfect. I mean, ver Isaiah, verse 33, I mean, Luke 33, it's like, I was, couldn't help but grin back there. I'm like, you are amazing, God. <laughs> amen. Yeah, let me, yes, let's, let's pray. God, you are amazing. Yes. And Lord, um, we just ask that you would just move in our hearts even now. Lord, we, we, we all come to a place, Lord, on church Sundays, we, we come expecting um, something from you, not from Brian or people, but from you, Lord. We gather at your feet, and, and I just ask, Lord, that um, anybody in this room today, Lord, you know them. You know their reasons for being here. Just ask that you would just uh, minister as you see fit, Lord. Lord, if there's um, anything that anybody needs, you give that to them. Lord, the, the most important thing is the spiritual side of our life. Lord, we could gain the whole world, but if we lose our soul, it's all for nothing. And so, Lord, I just uh, ask that you would just bless this, this group, Lord. I trust you with them, Lord. I know that you are at work in their lives. And I just ask, Jesus, that you would just do a great work in each of them, that you would pour your spirit out upon them, that you would draw them unto you, that there would be a newness. Those that might be here that feel like they, they've walked away, I pray that you would just give them a redemptive sense today, Lord. Those of you who might be here don't know you, that you would draw them unto salvation. That's your job, Holy Spirit. And so I just thank you for your love, Lord. I thank you that we can gather, Lord, that all of us are in the same playing field, Lord. We all need Jesus. We all need you. We need you more and more. We need you that we can be healed, Lord, of our mental things, our emotional things, our, our, our broken relationships. Lord, you are all about that. As we read in Genesis chapter three, God, it shows that you are all in. You are all about relationships with each other and you. And, and Lord, you're, you're such a good God. You are wonderful. You are counselor. You are our counselor. Help us to, to submit ourselves to you, Lord. Lord, I pray that if there's any shortcomings in our life that the enemy is like, you're not good enough to do that, Lord. I pray that you would remove that. That lie. That there'd be just a renewal, Lord, 
thank you that you are a God that redeems. Thank you, Lord, that you leave the 99 behind to go after the one that is strayed away. That when you died on the cross, you literally thought of each of us. You literally wore our sin. You traded our sin in and gave us the opportunity to have your righteousness given to us. You are great. You are eternal. And we thank you, Lord, and we ask that you would just continue to encourage us, Lord, when the night seems dark, that you would help us to cry out to you and ask for help. Because it's you who redeems. It's you who strengthens. So I just praise you and give you all the glory, Lord. We thank you for your mighty work. We thank you for Christmas that we get to celebrate Christmas. We thank you that we know for the reason of the season that it's Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you so much, God. Fill us up. Fill us up, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.